This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. As Stephen mentioned, we're going to take this Sunday and next Sunday to focus on the topic of exploring Christian marriage. And up front, I just want to make sure to communicate that I believe this sermon and these couple of weeks are not just for married couples. And so my my hope is that the biblical view of marriage will serve everyone because God, from His Word, addresses everyone about marriage, not just married people. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the early churches and addressed marriage, he did it to the whole congregation listening in, like he does with many other topics. And I believe whether you are married or single or desire to be married or are divorced or a widow or a teenager, you will benefit from God's teaching on this subject. Because ultimately, what we're going to see today, ultimately is marriage is about God. It's from God and for God. It's not just about two individuals. It's about the Lord. And His Word addresses us about this topic. And it's important for everyone to think rightly about this topic because we are at a stage where the view of marriage culturally is in crisis. That's the article I read recently. said, marriage in crisis. And it was just communicating that there are a lot of untrue and unhelpful thinking about marriage today. Listen to a few of these stats about marriage in America and specifically how people view it today. 50% of adults say that a couple who want to stay together long term are just as well off if they decide not to marry. A majority of Americans, when surveyed, think that society is better off if people don't marry or have children. A a majority of Americans. The share of adults ages 18 to 44 who have ever lived with an unmarried partner has surpassed the share who have ever been married. More people are choosing to not get married than ever before in history. And even now, first time in American history, we have more single adults than married adults. Two-thirds of Americans favor same-sex marriage, a number that has doubled over the last 50 years. Just, there's so many more stats, but what's become clear is our view of marriage is in crisis. Most people have a low view of marriage. They think it's better off if people decide not to, to marry. It's better off for society. It's better off for them. And here we hold before us God's Word, which has a very positive and a high view of marriage. And none of this is to say that everyone has to get married or is called to get married. Drew Williams, one of our pastoral residents, did a wonderful job 
addressing the gift of singleness recently. But I don't think what we need to do is lower our view of marriage. The, merit, the, the, the answer is to restore our view of marriage where Scripture places it. We don't want to exalt marriage as the end all of life, but we also don't want to succumb to our culture's low and critical view of marriage. And I think a great place to start to build a biblical view of marriage is where Jesus starts, which is at the beginning. Jesus takes us back to the foundation, to creation, to God and His intent and purpose and His design for marriage. And from that foundation, we can begin to build up and to think rightly and biblically about marriage. And so we're going to jump into this topic from Matthew chapter 19, but I just want to up front say this is not a a normal message where we're just going to stay in this text. This is a, a topical message, but I think Jesus and his words in Matthew 19 give us a good place to jump into a way to think rightly about biblical marriage. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse This is God's word for us today. Matthew 19, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He, Jesus, answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. May God open our eyes to behold wondrous things from his word today. In verse 3 of our text, we have another one of these occasions we so often find in the Gospels where the Pharisees are seeking to test and to trap Jesus. And the category of this test is divorce and marriage. The specific question had to do with a debate that was going on at the time between two groups of Pharisees about their interpretation of Deuteronomy 24.1, a section of the law about divorce. One group of Pharisees said that a husband could only divorce a wife if she was unfaithful. That's how they interpreted the word indecency. There was a second group of Pharisees who interpreted that verse as a husband could divorce his wife for any matter of indecency. So really for any reason at all that the husband found unfavorable. Even, we read in history, even such small matters such as burning his bread. 
That's where the Pharisees were debating. If he burns your bread, can you, if she burns the bread, can you divorce her? And some said yes, and some said no. And you could see Jesus having to answer this question. As so often is the case with the Pharisees, they got so caught up in the finer details, debating their rules and tradition, that they missed the whole point. They missed the big picture. It's a classic example of missing the forest for the trees. They were so concerned about reasons for divorce that they missed God's heart behind marriage. And so Jesus, in verse 4, takes them to the beginning. He goes back to the source, to, to He who created them from the beginning. Jesus takes them to God's Word. He takes them back to God, to God's intent, to God's decree to God's purpose, to God's proclamation over the first marriage which God Himself oversaw. And so you just see the Pharisees, I mean, they're they're, they're zoomed in so close that it's like they're looking at the tiny brush strokes on a painting and examining the brush strokes and criticizing the brush strokes. And I think the goal of Jesus here as He answers them is to pull them back away from being so close so that they can see the whole painting. They see the whole landscape and this beautiful picture God has painted and intended for us to see through marriage. I feel like today God wants to pull us back a little bit so we can see the whole landscape. So wherever you're coming from today, Whatever your thoughts or experience with marriage or divorce, which I'm sure has touched and affected each one of us in some way with either ourselves or with our families, we've all been touched by divorce. I think the Lord wants us to step back from our experience so we can see God's perspective on this topic this morning. And so that's what I want to do today in three points we're going to look at. We're going to look at God's authority over marriage, God's purpose for marriage, and God's design in marriage. And those will come up, so you don't have to write them all down right now. Point number one is God's authority over marriage. When Jesus was asked about marriage, he went back to Genesis 1 and 2 for his authority. He went back to the foundation of what God created. When we think about marriage, we need to think about God first and foremost. George Orwell has famously said, We have now sunk to a depth at which restatement of the obvious is the first duty of intelligent men. We have to restate the obvious. And so, Jesus And what I want to do this morning is is just kind of restate the obvious because we've we've sunk to such a low depth on our view of marriage. We need to go back to the beginning to restate the obvious. God created man and woman. And God created marriage. It was God's idea. It's not an invention of mankind. It was a part of God's design from the beginning It was part of God's call on humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so God commissioned Adam and Eve as image bearers of God 
to be his representatives on earth, to be fruitful and to fill the earth. And with creation comes authority. Since God created marriage, since it was his idea, since he came up with marriage, God has authority over marriage. For several years now, I've taught a worldview class for high schoolers. During one lesson, last time I taught the class, we watched a video. I had all the the kids in the class watch a video clip of a talk show, a news talk show, and they had a homosexual who was married on the show, and they had a Christian who was giving the Christian viewpoint. I will tell you, it did not go well for the Christian on that talk show. I thought the Christian was doing a pretty good job showing what the Bible says, uh, not being hateful, not being unloving in any way, just being clear and patient and calm. And every time that this Christian would say something against same-sex marriage, They kept doing the same thing over and over and over. They kept saying, who are you to tell me who I can love? And the talk show host was joining in. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Who are you to tell someone else who they can love? Over and over and over. Every time the Christian disagreed, that was the trump card. Who are you? It was a question of authority. It was a question. They were questioning, who do you think you are? And the answer is, I'm no one. What I think about this does not matter at all. But God does have something to say. And God does have authority over it because He is the one who created it. And so God does have a right to speak into this. God does have the right to say, this is why I created this. This is the goal. These are the parameters for marriage. God is the authority. And God's word is authoritative in our lives. We don't have to come up with what we think. We don't have to decide what we believe. What we do as Christians is we come under the authority of God's word. And we say what this says is what I believe is what I stick to. Typically today, when people look for authority, they tend to look in. They look at how they feel, what they think, how it affects them. But as Christians, we don't look in for our authority. We look up to God for our authority. My desires, my feelings, my opinions are not authoritative. God is. And God says in his word, Jesus just goes back to the beginning. From the beginning, God says marriage is between one man and one woman united together by God himself. Page 14 and 15 of our statement of faith, which you can get in the bookstore for free this morning, have clear biblical statements on gender and roles and marriage. This is what it says about marriage in our statement of faith. God instituted marriage as the union of one man and one woman who complement each other in a one flesh union that ultimately serves as a type of the union between Christ and his church. This remains the only 
normative pattern of sexual relations for humanity. One man, one woman in the context of marriage, the only normative pattern for sexual relations for humanity. Listen, the goal of the sexual revolution has been to remove God's authority and God's parameters. And so we are bearing the consequences today. When you see this low view of marriage, we're bearing the consequences today for removing the authority of God over this area of our lives. And Jesus goes back to the beginning, back to what God intended for their good and His glory in creating them male and female, joining them together in marriage. And so we have to begin with God. Because if we start anywhere else, we're going to get the goal of marriage wrong. God created it and God has authority over marriage. Point number two, God's purpose for marriage. Why did God do this? In verse 4 and 5 of Matthew 19, Jesus reminds them that in the beginning God created them male and female. God called them to leave their father and mother, which we know Adam and Eve did not have. So this was a pattern for them for the future. And that these two individuals would become one flesh, that God himself would join them together. And he would say over them, you are no longer two, but you are one. God making them one in front of him That's why Jesus tells the Pharisees, let not man separate what God has joined together. The Pharisees in their debate and their interpretation were separating something that God had joined together. And from the beginning, marriage is meant to communicate something about God. He invented marriage. He designed it to say something about him. It's not ultimately about us, it's ultimately about God, and it says something about God. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 quotes the same verse that Jesus does here, and he tells us the purpose. This is Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32. Quotes the same text from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Do you see it there? Marriage is not an end in itself. Marriage is not an end in itself. It's not the goal. Marriage is meant to lead us somewhere else to communicate a truth about God which is just so different from so many rom-coms today that make, make it seem like marriage is the goal. Not that I've seen any of them, but all these rom-com movies make it seem like marriage is the goal, that getting to the altar is the destination. Marriage is not an end. Marriage is an avenue to go somewhere else. Marriage has a goal in mind in front of it. And the goal in mind is the glory of God on display. 
It's meant to communicate something about God. Marriage is about God and for God. It's about Jesus Christ and His love for the church and the church's love for Jesus Christ. That's the profound mystery why God created marriage in the beginning. Listen to John Piper, what he says about this. He says, marriage exists to magnify the truth and worth and beauty and greatness of God. God does not exist to magnify marriage. We get that backwards sometimes. Marriage exists to magnify God. So whether you are married or not, you can view marriage and look at marriages and it's meant to communicate something about the greatness and the beauty and the worth of God. God does not exist to magnify marriage. I think it's pretty safe to say when you see popular opinion today about marriage, popular opinion has become man-centered in its view of marriage. We have made it about us and we have placed our feelings and our desires as authoritative in how we think about marriage. We have removed God from the picture. You may have heard of the popular book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. It's been a popular book, I don't know, for 30 years now or so. It sold 15 million copies. What's amazing to me is all the spinoff products from that book. So the book and its central metaphor have become part of popular culture. And the author has written other books with similar titles. He's got recordings, seminars, themed vacations. You can go on a Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus vacation. A one-man Broadway show, a TV sitcom, workout videos, a podcast, men's and ladies apparel lines, fragrances, travel guides, and I'm not kidding, his and her salad dressings. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, salad dressings. But all that, you've probably seen this somewhere, but have you ever noticed the subtitle of the book? Subtitles sometimes say a lot. The subtitle is, A practical guide to getting what you want in your relationships. That's the goal of popular culture, getting what you want. What do you want to get out of it? What do you want to benefit? How do you want to benefit from us? Listen, that's not the Christian view of about anything, much less marriage. Getting what we want. And the problem is, if if the first step in a long journey is in the wrong direction, The destination is going to be far off from where you intended it to be. And if our first step when we think about marriage is what do I want, that's the wrong first step. The first step has to be what does God want? What does God say? What is is God's goal when it comes to marriage? And And I think this applies to people who desire to get married one day. I think Married couples can drift and forget. It's not about us and what we want. It's about God and what He calls us to be in marriage. Listen to this, listen to this warning from Christopher Ash. He says, When we approach marriage expecting our needs to be met, We have not understood the real nature of love. And we are sowing the seeds of destruction 
in our marriages. The goal is not, what can I get out of this? But how can I glorify God through this? The focus is on what we give, not what we get and receive. And you see, just this changes the goal of marriage from me-oriented to God-oriented and others-oriented, which really follows the two great commands Jesus gave us to love God and to love others. It's basic Christian discipleship. This is the goal, to love God and love others, but we can take categories and areas and remove them from basic Christian discipleship, and marriage is one of them. We can make it all about us. You can open new articles and blogs and peruse books on marriage, and this this basic biblical concept is missing from almost all marital advice. We've made it all about us. What do we need? What do we get? What do we want? How do I feel? How does this affect me? It's like we're gazing into the eyes of our spouse just to see our own reflection. I mean, we make everything about us. And the Bible, the goal of marriage, is more concerned with how we serve the other person. Marriage is an opportunity to glorify God By loving someone more than ourselves and laying down our lives for them. It's Philippians 2, what Bill preached on last week, applied to our marriages. I think often a misstep we take biblically, I think that that gets us going in the wrong direction, is that it's communicated from Genesis chapter 2, which Jesus goes back to, it's communicated that marriage was created to cure loneliness. People go to Genesis 2 where it says, where God says that it is not good that the man was alone. And they assume that if he was alone, he must have been lonely. And Eve was created to cure his loneliness. That's really a modern interpretation that makes marriage about our needs instead of about God. Christopher Ashe in his book, Married for God, which you can get in the bookstore this morning. I think it's $5. Kevin DeYoung in his book, Men and Women in the Church, two wonderful resources you can get. They both do a really good job in their books showing that the context of Genesis 2 was not loneliness. The context was mission. It was to rule and subdue the earth, to care for the garden. Adam had work to do, And Eve was a helper. They could work together as image bearers of God. And they could care for God's creation and fill the earth. That's the heart behind Genesis 2. It's about mission. It's about being on mission for God. Accomplishing what God calls us to be. It's not about our needs and our desires. It's more about God and His commissioning in our lives. And a little less than two weeks, my bride and I will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. And so recently, I was just looking back at our wedding ceremony. So Bill, our senior pastor Bill, did our wedding ceremony, and I was just looking back 
at what he said to us as we stood before him and before the congregation as he was doing our marriage ceremony because I have no idea what he actually said on that day because I was so distracted. So we understand as pastors, you have no idea what we're saying. We understand that. So I got his notes and I looked back at what he said to us as we stood that day. So maybe for the first and last time, I'm going to put up a quote from Bill Kittrell this morning. (laughs) It's really good. Pastor Bill Kittrell said, Marriage has a divine origin. Marriage isn't man's idea. The biblical view of marriage is that it originated with God and it has a divine purpose. Listen to this. For your marriage to be successful, it must be God-centered. If it is man-centered, self-centered, or need-centered, your relationship will not achieve its divine purpose. Those are wise words to start a marriage. Those are wise words to sustain a marriage. It's a good pastor right there. Now listen, I have not succeeded in doing that perfectly. I often make it about me, what I want, what I'm getting. I'm often selfish. I'm often more concerned with myself than my wife, but God being gracious and merciful because of his great love for us, which he has shown us in Jesus Christ, keeps drawing me back. He convicts me. It's not about you, dummy. It's not about you. It's about me. It's about my glory. It's about what you are to give, how you are to love her. Not about what you get, but what you give. He keeps drawing us back to the goal of marriage. It's about him. It's not primarily about us. For married couples here today, ask yourself, have I this week been more concerned with what I get from my spouse or more concerned with how I can love and serve my spouse? What have I been more concerned about? What am I thinking about? What offends me? What is my primary goal? What I'm receiving Or what God's called me to be and what God's called me to do. Just don't don't look back over 20 years. That would be very discouraging, you know, if you look back. How have I done over 20 years? Let's not go down there. Let's just look at the last seven days, okay? Let's uh, let's see how we did the last seven days. Because I I promise there will be moments you will be convicted. And the good news is we, we receive forgiveness. God reminds us from his word what the goal is. We look back seven days, we go, how have I done? Have I been more concerned about myself or more concerned about my spouse? And then we look forward at this next seven days, and we think, this week, let's look at this week. Let me plan this week. I'm going to sit down, think through my week, and I want to think about how can I love my wife more than I love myself this week? What, what, What is she doing? What is she walking through? How can I help her and love her and lead her through this week? That's the call. That's how... We glorify God in our marriages. That's how we display Christ and the church. God has authority over our marriages. God has told us what the purpose of marriage is. And point number three, God's design in marriage. So how do we accomplish that? God invented it he created marriage God tells us that the purpose of it is his glory to display Christ and the church 
to the world and how did he design it to function? Jesus reminds us, which is a good reminder, that he created us male and female. In marriage, he creates us as husband and wife. He makes them one flesh, united God, joins them together, both man and woman equal in value, dignity, and worth before God, both created in the image of God, both covered in the blood of Christ, both justified by faith alone, but with different roles God calls them to live out within their marriage. This, this is the view of complementarians. This is the view that we hold as a church. We are complementarians. We believe God created men and women equal in value, dignity, and worth, but different in the roles God has called us to live out in the home and in the church. And so when you see Scripture addressing married couples, it addresses them uniquely as a husband or as a wife. You see that in Genesis 2 and 3, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3. He will say, now to husbands I say this, and now to wives I say this. God was intentional in creating them with differences. This is important to God. This says something about God. There's something unique about being a woman that reflects God's glory and character. There's something unique about being a man that communicates something about God's glory and character. They're not interchangeable. Both are necessary and complement each other to communicate something about God. We see this outside of marriage, which means you don't have to be married to express biblical masculinity or femininity. But we also see this inside of marriage, which means there is a difference in the roles of a husband and a wife. And these differences are designed by God to complement each other, to accomplish God's mission, what He has called them to do on this earth. It's about God's glory. Which means these differences are not meant to divide us. I think that's what you see on sitcoms in the culture. That, that, that couples are divided by these differences. They're meant to unite us together. We are one. They're meant to unite us. So that we display God's glory. Here again, let me quote from our statement of faith in its section on marriage. It says this. It says, husbands are to exercise headship sacrificially and with humility, and wives are to serve as helpers to their husbands, willingly supporting and submitting to their leadership. Together, these complementary roles bring joy and blessing to each other and display the beauty of God's purposes to the world. There's the goal right there. And in this, we have God's design for marriage, for husbands. This call to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That is a high calling. And that, that is something you will never perfectly obtain in this lifetime. The way Christ loved the church. But we should strive to grow each and every week. It's a privilege to glorify God 
by loving another person more than ourselves and leading in Christ-like humility. That is a privilege. And I'll just say, we need men like this today to display sacrificial love and leadership. It's not the norm. But man, it shows the beauty of what God has designed. For wives to be a reflection of the church, which Jesus loved so much, He gave His life for it, to glorify God by loving and serving and helping your husband to accomplish the mission God has called you to is a privilege. To be a husband or a wife is a privilege to love and serve in these ways. And Satan and our world and our sin opposes us in these areas, doesn't it? We are attacked on this front right now. We're attacked by Satan who, who just loves to divide God's people. We are attacked by the world who wants to undermine God's authority in this way. And probably more than any, we are attacked by our sin which opposes us in living out these roles. When sin entered into God's world, if you go back and read Genesis chapter 3, what you're going to see almost immediately is a division between a husband and a wife. He is blame-shifting. They're both ashamed of what they have done. He's blaming her. You know, she's blaming the serpent. There, there's just, there's division. That's what sin does to us. It divides us. It makes husbands into selfish, unloving sinners who prefer themselves over another. It turns wives into those who would usurp leadership and control. It's what we see in Genesis chapter 3. Just we're divided. We're against one another. We're competing for our own glory against one another. And the good news today is Christ came to reverse the effects of the fall. God sent a Savior to save us from ourselves and our sins. And because of the gospel, we really can have a marriage that displays God's glory and displays Christ's love for the church. And so let me just end today by reminding you of what Christ has done to save you and to change you. Because the struggle we experience in marriage, it began in Genesis 3 with the fall and sin entering into our hearts. But when Christ came, He never once sinned. Never one time was selfish or unloving or lacked compassion. Never preferred Himself over others. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He came and He lived this righteous life and He died a sinner's death on the cross bearing God's wrath for all of our sins and failures. And every time we've fallen short of the glory of God and as we celebrated last week on the third day, He rose again declaring to us that sin has no dominion over you. You are no longer slaves to sin. You don't have to submit to your sin. You can submit your lives to God and His glory now because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And He's given us new hearts by His Holy Spirit. He says, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ transforms our marriages because it transforms us from the inside out. 
makes us new creations. It makes us loving. It makes us prefer others. We're not all about ourselves anymore because now we're about Him and what He's done to save us from our sins. It changes us from self-serving, self-seeking, unloving husbands and wives to God-glorifying, loving, and humble husbands and wives. The gospel is not only the goal of our marriages, it is the power behind our marriages. Because it transforms us from the inside out. The gospel is the power and the pattern for our marriages. It is what marriage is supposed to display. And it is the source of power that can help us when we fall short of the glory of God. And this is our hope. It's not in ourselves. It's in God and His gospel. And the good news is He saves us and transforms us. Whatever your history Wherever you've come from, whatever you've seen, whatever your view of marriage has been, God can transform us. And there's so many testimonies in this room of people who, before I came to this church, I'd never seen a godly marriage. I've never seen husbands and wives live like this. That wasn't my experience, but because of God's word and the the example of people in this church, God can change us and transform us. Whatever your view of marriage, we want to have God's view. We want to have a biblical view. He created marriage for His glory, to display His gospel, to fulfill His purpose. Let us commit ourselves to having a God-centered view of marriage. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I... Pray this morning, as I began this sermon, that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word today, Lord. I pray for every person here this morning or anybody watching on the live stream today, that you would give them a vision this morning. That you would draw them back from your, by your word and give them a vision of what you've done, what you've created, your goodness, your glory, your creativity, your righteousness, your omnipotence, Lord, everything good and gracious and merciful, everything you are, Father, we see that on display in your creation. So whatever people's view as they came in this morning, I pray that we would leave today with a sense of the greatness of God, that God is with us, that God can help us and save us and transform us. So fill us with hope this morning, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.